0: Good morning, everyone. We're starting a new series today, and I'm hoping it'll be a real joy for us in a time of uncertainty and a time of darkness uh, as well. I've called the sermon series Good, because we're going to be looking at the Christian faith through some of the stories that Jesus tells in His ministry. And as we're drawn into these stories, I'm hoping that we'll get a clearer and clearer picture of God, Who he is and what he does as well. Now that word good is a funny word. I mean, we use the word good as humans in a sort of spectrum of ways. I mean, it can be used in a really positive way. That was good. Good can also be used to mean average as well, can't it? How'd you do in the test? Good. The word good could also be used to shut down a conversation. When my kids come home from school and I ask them, how has their day been, they say, good. I'm sure my kids are the only kids who have ever done that as well. But we can also see that the word good can be used in negative ways as well, strange as that seems. You can imagine a sarcastic answer, oh, you're so good, aren't you? Or even an aggressive tone as well, good on you. So, we use the word good in a spectrum of ways. What's interesting is there's a difference between us and God on this because God only uses the word good in one way to mean just as it should be. It's five stars. It's perfect. Good is a word that God uses to describe Himself and the things He does as well. So, when a question comes to Jesus And the person says, good teacher. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And when God looks at all the world he's created, at the very beginning of the Bible, he looks on it and he sees that it is very good. For God, good means just as I want it to be. It's a word of high beauty and high joy. And I'm hoping that as we look through this series together, we're going to feel that exact same way about the story that God has given us and its goodness. We're going to see God's good salvation that he gives to people. We're going to see God's uh, good command to bear good fruit in our lives. And we're going to see as we wait for the good hope, that he has in store for us in heaven. That's this week and the next uh, two weeks, and I hope that you'll be with us this entire time as we look through this series called Good as Well. Today we're looking at God's good salvation. And we come to a conversation that Jesus has with an expert in the law. It's a very famous encounter. In fact, we get our word Samaritan in English because of this particular parable that Jesus tells. And the story starts with uh, the expert in the law and Jesus talking about good things, big things. And we see that from the very first question. The man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, life beyond what we can see in the here and now. Both the expert and Jesus believe that eternal life is real, but they differ in how they think it's received. The expert thinks that if you're a Jew... And you do good things then you'll get it but Jesus says you receive eternal life if you're saved and so those are our two points as we look at our passage today in the first few verses we see a questioning Jesus about eternal life and then in the second part we see the good story about salvation that Jesus gives I invite you at home yeah, to, to have this passage open in front of you as well. And those in the room, if you've got a Bible or a phone, please have that open too to follow along. Hopefully, it's a great time and a great encourage, encouragement for us as we consider God's goodness. Let me pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful joy it is of having this story. We ask that you would help us to see all the wonder and goodness of Jesus And his salvation. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now the context here in this passage is not some casual Sunday afternoon chat between mates. It's actually quite a bit of tension happening here. When you have a look at verse 25, you can see it if you're looking for it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's checking up. He's looking for fault in Jesus' answer. He is, after all, an expert in God's law. He knows what the Old Testament says and he's wanting to make sure that Jesus gets it right and he'll know if Jesus doesn't. One of the beautiful things we have in the Gospel of Luke is the whole story of Jesus' ministry. And so we can read right through and see the big context of what's going on. You see, if you've been reading through Luke's account before this chapter, you'll see that Jesus has really annoyed the Jewish authorities. They are completely furious at the disconnect that they see between who Jesus says he is and the things he says about God as well. Right from the start of Luke's Gospel, the author has been documenting these amazing things that people have been saying and the things that Jesus have been, has been doing as well. And it's revolved a lot around the idea of a saviour. At the beginning of the Gospel, an angel of the Lord instructs Mary and Joseph to call him Jesus, which means saviour. And then there's been a whole variety of people who've come along and have prophesied that salvation is going to be connected to this Jesus as well. For example, there's the angels on the night that Jesus was born. We're told they say, Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Eight days after Jesus was born, Simeon comes up to the baby Jesus and says, Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. And later on, John the Baptist says all people will see God's salvation in Jesus. Now Jesus fuels the fire of these thoughts in his own ministry work as well with bold declarations of who he is and bold signs that accompany these words as well. For example, the first time he preaches, he pulls open the book of Isaiah, goes to chapter 61 and he preaches from there and he says that this passage is fulfilled in your presence today. Jesus is saying that the Old Testament prophecies and promises are pointing to him. And so throughout his ministry, he declares that his mission is to um, call sinners to repentance. He wants people to reconnect with God. He wants people from Israel and also from the other nations so in his preaching and in his miracle work he forgives a man and then he forgives a woman in front of the Jewish authorities and they're gobsmacked and annoyed because they know only God is able to forgive sins. Forgiving sins is something that only God is allowed to do. Jesus then comes and he heals a man on the Jewish sacred day as well. Because he says it's godly to do good every day of the week. God's desire has always been love, not a vacant sort of checking of the box as you go along. And then when Jesus does his miracles, they show the breadth of his compassion and his love as well. I mean, Jesus just loves people. And you read right through the accounts that he silences a demon, he heals a town's worth of people, he heals a paralytic, he removes leprosy from a man, he raises two children from death, he stops the bleeding of a sick woman and feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and a handful of fish as well. And all of these things proclaim, I've got the power of God with me and I'm inviting people to come and receive help and reconnect with God. So how do you think something like that is going to go down with the Jewish authorities? The ones who don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. Well, there's no points for guessing as we read again through the scriptures. We're told all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Later on, the Pharisees and the teachers were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And Jesus knew in the end how it would all end. He said, The Son of Man, that is, Jesus' own word for himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. So Jesus is considered an enemy. Of the highest order he was one he was uh, uh, considered an enemy worthy of death he's an outcast he's an outsider he has the stamp of disapproval on him by the jewish authorities the expert in the law today is testing him in that context he's questioning jesus in the hope that jesus will fumble an answer stumble into blasphemy and then give them the authority to be able to kill him. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It seems like a good question, but it's actually a question that's full of negativity and aggression. And Jesus does the classic uh, teacher's answer in reply. He says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the expert answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the expert, at least on the face of it, gives the correct answer, and Jesus commends him for the answer he gives. Eternal life is connected to God's highest good that is, love. Love for God and love for your neighbor as well. The expert in the law understands rightly that love is the great connective. The basis, if you will, of the whole Old Testament law. All of the commands in the Old Testament, all 613 of the commands, are connected to the theme of love. And then we see it most obviously in the first 10 and most famous of the commandments. See, the first four commandments are given, are all about loving God. The last six commandments are all about loving your neighbour. So How does one inherit eternal life? By loving God and neighbour. Both Jesus and the expert seem to agree but it's almost like at this point in the story it gets a little bit personal for the expert. I'm not supposed to be agreeing with you. I can't trust you with how you handle the scriptures. I'm not supposed to be here saying the same thing to you. And so the expert kind of does what we do when we kind of want to half agree with someone and half kind of keep questioning them as well. He kind of goes, yeah, yeah, but... And he continues to ask another question. We're told in asking the next question, and who is my neighbour? That he's trying to justify himself. You see, Jesus has shown love to every person he's come across. And this expert in the law doesn't want to show love to all the people that Jesus has. You know, to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to the unclean sinners and the Gentiles. He's trying to take the command, love your neighbour and minimise it. Or box it in. Or place limits on it. Isn't it interesting that the rulers of that time would... Uh, take their eyes off the big picture of what God wants and focus in on the minutia. Love, you say. Well, uh, what day of the week should we love? Love, you say. Who is my neighbour, really? When you don't believe in Jesus, his life forces you to justify yourself. It's like the expert in the law is saying, out of all the people out there, I'm going to choose who my neighbour is and then I'm going to love them. And so it's clear that he and Jesus don't agree together. And so in response to that, Jesus now tells his famous story and this really is now the turning point in the story that we're looking at today. brings us to those last eight verses, a good story about salvation. Now, verse 30 says this at the beginning. It says, in reply... dot dot dot." I want to just place a little thing in front of us to say, make a note of those words there, in reply. I'll come back in a few minutes and tell you why that's important. But in reply, Jesus tells the parable. And this is a famous parable, and many of us have heard all about it. Now, parables are a funny thing. I remember when I was trying to work out whether or not I was going to go into ministry, I was leading a youth group in North Sydney and one of the kids put their hand up and they said, well what's the deal with parables? And I said, well parables are stories that Jesus tells to help us to understand what he's talking about. I couldn't have been more wrong. Again, when you look through the the Gospel of Luke, Jesus even says that he tells um, parables in order that people will not have the full meaning of what's going on, that the full meaning will be hidden from them too. You see, Jesus speaks in parables to hide the full meaning of what he says. If you have eyes and ears to understand it, if you listen carefully, then you can get what it's all about. Otherwise, you'll just hear a nice story take a superficial meaning from it, and miss the deeper one. And I want to tell you that is exactly what's going on here. We need to listen to this parable very carefully. The characters in the story are interesting. The parable begins with a man, presumably a Jew, who's come from Jerusalem, he's on the road to Jericho, and this is a very dangerous road. And he is attacked on that road, and he's left for dead. That half-dead language that we see in the passage comes with the sense that the man is dying and he will die unless he is saved and gets help. He desperately needs help. But then along come two of Israel's best. The first is a priest. He's one of the people who offers sacrifices in the temple. And the second is a Levite. He comes from the tribe who works in the temple. Now, both of these men see the dying man and make it a point of kind of going as far away from the man while staying on the road as they possibly can. We can only guess at their motives, but it's likely that um, it was because the men knew from the Old Testament law that if they came into contact with a man like this, then they would have been considered spiritually unclean. They would have had to go through a cleansing ceremony and process for themselves afterwards. I think we all kind of get this in our time right now. It means if they had helped him or touched him or come near him, they would have had to have been quarantined. Maybe they just didn't want to go through the hassle. Well, the last character in the story is the Samaritan man. Now, the Samaritan is uh, from a different ethnic group from the Jews. From the perspective of the expert in the law and his ruling class buddies, the Samaritans were enemies, worthy of being hated. You don't associate with them at all. There's a long history that you can go into if you want to know more. Yet in Jesus' parable, it is the Samaritan who gives mercy. He is the one who shows love and kindness. He's the one who clears his schedule and his plans. And he is the one who bears the cost of the restoration of this man. Now, clearly in the parable, the Samaritan is the hero. So you'd expect, having told this parable, the simple question that Jesus would ask the expert would be this. Well, who is the Samaritan's neighbour? Right? He sees the sick and needy, he goes and helps them, so be like the Samaritan. The end. That's what the parable is all about. You'd expect that, wouldn't you? It would make sense of everything we've read so far. But that isn't the question that Jesus asks at the end. He doesn't ask, who is the good Samaritan's neighbour? Did you notice verse 36? It's kind of the key to unlocking the whole of the parable. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asks, who is the dying man's neighbour? Now, let's follow the logic and see why that's an important question. The expert asks, and who is my neighbour? And in reply, Jesus tells the parable and then asks, well, who is the dying man's neighbour? Let me ask you, which character in the story that Jesus is told is Jesus likening to the expert in the law? It's not the Samaritan. It's the man on the ground, the one who is unable to save or help himself, the one who needs mercy, the one who cannot choose his neighbour, the one who is dying. Well then, who is the Samaritan in the story? Who is this outcast? Who is this outsider? The one who has the stamp of disapproval. From the experts the one who comes to the needy and knows how to help the one who takes the burdens of the needy on his own back the one who bears the entire cost of restoration on himself the one who saves the life of someone who might consider him an enemy the one who gives life from death who is it well it's jesus And the parable of the Good Samaritan is the story of the gospel, a true and timeless word for the expert in the law and even for us today to hear as well. The expert doesn't think he needs to trust Jesus. But here in the story, the dying man's physical condition is our spiritual condition before God. You see, in sin, we are dying. We're heading towards death because we want nothing to do with the God of life. Yet Jesus comes to us. He finds us out. He knows our need. He knows our situation. And at the cross, he bears the entire cost of judgment upon himself. You see, Jesus is the one who loves his neighbor and he gives to us restoration salvation and eternal life and if you remember that was the original question in our story today what must i do to inherit eternal life and do you remember what the greed upon answer was love god and love your neighbor right there in front of the expert in the law and may i say us too as we read the scriptures here today there stands jesus the one who claimed to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the one who stands before us as God himself. And as God become man, the one who stands before us as our neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor is how you inherit eternal life. And in this story today, it's an invitation to love the one who is both God and neighbor. It's an invitation to love Jesus. That's what the expert in the law must do. It's not about being a Jew and fulfilling the law in your own terms. It's about seeing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, that it all pointed to him and that he is the promised saviour and the one who saves. So can you imagine for a second how tragic it would be if in the parable, the Samaritan comes along to the dying man and the dying man on the road says, no, no, thank you, I, I, I don't need you, I'm fine. I mean, how tragic would that be? As a minister, my greatest fear isn't that people would hate me or the message of Jesus. My greatest fear is actually that people will hear the good message of Jesus and not take up his offer for life. That's why mission is such an important part of Christchurch. Because we want as many people as possible in this great area of Sydney to know the good news about Jesus, to know the full cost of salvation that He has taken at the cross and at the empty tomb. You see, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a story about God's good salvation. It's five stars. It is just as God wants it to be. Why does that Samaritan help the dying man? It's out of love. Nothing else. So if you're exploring the Christian faith yourself, then know that Jesus comes to you in stories just like this one, in sermons just like this one, on days just like this one, And he comes to you with the same offer to trust him and receive life with him. My only real qualification to tell you anything about this is simply that I used to be the half-dead, spiritually half-dead man on the side of the road and Jesus has saved me. If you're exploring, you need to know about this Jesus And you're invited to use every ounce of your scientific acumen, your historical processes, your philosophical reasoning to to work out and investigate whether this guy, Jesus, is legit and whether he, in fact, can be trusted with the offer that he gives. Maybe, if you are exploring, you might like to come along to our Christianity Explored course, which is starting in Term 3. We create a safe environment in which people can ask questions about Jesus Get some answers about who the Jesus of the Bible is and you might meet him yourself and come to believe and trust in him too. If that's you, why don't you fill in the Connect card that's just down below the viewing screen in YouTube at the moment. If you fill that in, we'll make sure there's a space for you in that course. Now, our church membership is filled with people who already believe that Jesus is their saviour. And if Jesus is our saviour then we must know that he sets the direction for our lives as individuals and as a church as well. The parable of the Good Samaritan gives Christians a kick in the backside as well. Remember, love your neighbour. You see, the once dying man gets better. And the Samaritan has shown to that dying man what unlimited love for your neighbour looks like. Jesus says at the end, go and do likewise. Those who know God's love are to live out that same unlimited love to our neighbours. We might ask ourselves, well, who is our neighbour? Well, in the story, if our neighbours can be strangers on the road, a person from a different ethnicity, culture, background, if they're poor or sick or in need or even an enemy, then our neighbour is everyone. And in a place like the city of Ride, where the world, in all its brilliancy and diversity, has come to live, in this city right here, then we must say that our neighbourhood is quite literally the world. As a church, we need to to realise that loving our neighbour is not a cheap and an easy thing. I mean, look at all the culture-breaking things the Samaritan does in caring for the man. He gives up his plans, he clears his schedule, he spends the night and he pays the cost in order to help this man. Our plans, our time, our money. Those are three things that in the culture of Gladesville we consider sacred. Yet Jesus is saying that we must be willing to give all of those things up to be able to help our neighbour. I find go and do likewise an enormous challenge. But when we are prepared to love as Jesus loved us, then who knows, maybe our neighbour too will come to meet Jesus and to trust in him as well. We're going to talk more about that in our second sermon next week. But can you see how the story of God's good salvation comes here in this parable that we've seen this morning? Why don't you try and commit to memory, to your heart, the parable of the Good Samaritan, so that you're able to share this story and tell the good news about Jesus as well. I'm going to finish in prayer now. I'm going to put a prayer on the screen in front of us. If you'd like to pray with me, then you are more than welcome to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the good salvation you provide in your Son, Jesus. We thank you that he is the one who seeks us out, finds us, and saves us. Thank you that Jesus has forgiven my sin at the cross. Please help me to take hold of Jesus' offer of help and to love you and my neighbour this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.